Acts 21, 7 through 17 from the Common English Bible. Continuing our voyage, we sailed from Tyre and arrived at Ptolemy. We greeted the brothers and sisters there and spent a day with them. The next day we left and came to Caesarea. We went to the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who were involved in the work of prophecy. After staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In Jerusalem, the Jews will bind the man who owns this belt, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul replied, Why are you doing this? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not only to be arrested, but even to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. Since we couldn't talk him out of it, the only thing we could say was, The Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and made our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and led us to Nason's home, where we were guests. He was from Cyprus, and he had been a disciple a long time. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. Thank you for reading the scripture passage for us today. And again, that was Acts 21, 7 through 17 from the Common English Bible Version. And we are in our Acts series, the Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. And uh, this is a loving scripture series from Renewed Church. But previously in Acts, last week, you remember, Paul gives his parting words uh, to the leaders uh, from Ephesus who met him um, as he's on his way to Jerusalem. And in his parting words, um, he tells them, he uh, asks them to step up um, and kind of empowers them to be leaders, to be shepherds, to be elders um, in the church as he's moving on, they're staying in Ephesus and he gives them their parting words and um, afterwards they're on the beach and they kneel down and they all pray together and everyone is weeping and embracing Paul because um, they're a family that a deep relationships, warm, intimate relationships have been built between Paul and, and these new these Christian leaders of the church in Ephesus. And we see um, that theme of God having raised up community, God having raised up brothers and sisters in the midst of Paul um, going from city to city, ministering, uh, preaching and teaching the gospel, also coming upon hardships and persecution and being in despair and being discouraged Paul also is encouraged by God providing him with brothers and sisters along the way. Um, you know, being a part of a church, a church community, and we haven't met uh, in person in a while, and but the longing in my heart to see all of you, to welcome one another, to sing together in person, uh, to worship together, to embrace one another, it's really strong in my heart right now. and. You know, as I, I like to say, like the friends that I've built and being a part of a church community, I wouldn't choose you guys, some of you, 
to be friends, just to be friends. But because we worship the same Jesus, we follow the same Jesus, because we're a part of the body of Christ, I'm in deep relationships uh, with people, with you, um, brothers and sisters, some of you, my surrogate fathers and mothers of different backgrounds, of different culture, of different ethnicity, with different interests, with uh, different social economic backgrounds. There's so many differences out there and yet we're family and that's because of Jesus Christ, amen. And so um, the way that God creates family uh, in his people, through his people and how he provides this for Paul is one thing to take note of here. And so chapter 21 begins with, uh, in verse one begins, after we tore ourselves away from them, right? they literally had to tear themselves away from their brothers and sisters who love them so passionately and are embracing them and weeping because Paul is departing. Uh, that's just an amazing visual, like literally having to tear yourself away what kind of passion is there? What kind of uh, compassion is there? What kind of heart investment is there in, in that for us to have to be torn away from people who are leaving? Uh, that we love them so much, that we care about them so much, that we are sad when they leave. And yet, you know, growing deeper um, in relationship, growing deeper and intimacy and love, while that's a part of being um, Jesus Christ's church, um, also partings, farewells, and saying goodbye is also a part of Jesus Christ's church because those that we love are called out, are sent out. And I mentioned that a healthy church both builds up within itself a, a strong community, an intimate community of faith and love that's growing in God. Right? growing in relationship with God and relationship with one another, a healthy community builds itself up in, internally, but also a healthy community reaches out and sends its own, the best of itself, out uh, beyond itself, out um, as Paul is now, feeling called, his face now turned towards Jerusalem and then ultimately towards Rome, Paul feels called though he's being torn away um, from Ephesus, from those he loves, feels called to continue forth to be a minister of the gospel in other places. And now he's headed to Jerusalem where he knows he'll suffer. He knows he'll be persecuted. He knows that things are gonna get even harder, yet he feels called, yet he feels compelled to continue on the journey. So they tear themselves away. From there, um, they make a straight course to cause, reaching Rhodes the next day, and then Patera, where they find a ship, and they cross over to Phoenicia. Um, and um, from Phoenicia, they put out to sea, um, and where they spot the island of Cyprus, um, but past Cyprus, they didn't end up stopping at Cyprus, but sailed on to the province of Syria, then landed in Tyre. Um, I'm in verse three of chapter 21. Um, 
While they're in Tyre, they unload their ship of its cargo. And verse 4 says, We found the disciples there and stayed with them for a week. It's not necessarily people that they knew, right? Or uh, a community that they started. But they found whatever Christian disciples there were in that place in Tyre. And they stayed with them for a week. So it's been like 40 or 50 50-something years um, since Christ ascended, since the ministry of Paul and the church began, had its beginnings. And already there's the strong community of faith, even to the point that there are people that they don't even know, that they weren't maybe directly a part of raising up as Christians, that they find. And these Christians welcome them into their home for a week, that there's already a bond there just simply because um, they follow the same Lord. They're people of the way. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, there were, the house next door to us was torn down and a developer had bought the property. And since then they've built two massive homes, um, each like, over a, a million dollars um, next to us. And, but in the process, they chopped down all the trees on that land and they chopped, chopped down the huge maple tree that was giving shade to our whole property that was on kind of the borderline between our two properties. And so we went from being like completely covered with tree shade um, to our landscape, our property being full of sun and sun and sunshine. And about a year ago, I noticed that grass was growing up. What we had was just bark before. When the maple tree was there, we had bark. It was just, you know, bark. I didn't even have to weed. There was no weeds or anything. It was just bark. And, uh, but when the tree was gone, when all the trees were gone and the shade was gone, all of a sudden, grass, baby grass started popping up along with weeds. And I was like, what's going on? And my neighbor who were gardening, gardening neighbors, uh, she was like, yeah, uh, the people before you, they tried to plant grass. They put down grass seed all the time uh, because they were tired of just having bark, um, but they couldn't get grass to grow. And that's probably because of the shade from the cheetah. It's too shady and now, those grass seeds are just growing up. And I was like, oh man. And so I'm, now I'm just letting the grass grow up, hoping that eventually I'll have a full uh, lawn, green lawn. Uh, maybe I'll help it out by putting some more grass seed down because it's kind of like dandelions and little patches like pattern balding of grass like around. And uh, um, But I bring up that analogy because Something that I didn't plant, something that I didn't even know about, seed that was planted many years ago, were finally growing up now that there was more uh, sunshine. Now that the shade of trees were gone and sunshine, there was increased sunshine, grass was growing up and I didn't plant it. But it was underneath the surface, it was growing up. And what I see here at the first, in the first part of chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, is they found disciples who were in this town. 
and they were able to stay with them. And it's not specific, it's just we found whatever disciples were in this town. So in this short, like 40 to 50 years, the church of Jesus Christ, the community of faith has been expanding, has been multiplying and going further and further out into different places. And this community of faith is here to be hospitable to Paul and his companions, even if they didn't directly plant it, right? The grass is sprouting up here and there, and there's nothing like seeing the effects of um, the exponential growth of the kingdom of God, right? Where, you know, as a pastor or as a leader or as someone who's invests in a place, even if it, maybe it's like a business, like you mentored some leaders in a company or organization, and later, five years later, you come back to see that, you know, they flourished. And not only have they flourished, they influence more people and they influence more people and a whole like healthy body had grown up. There's nothing more satisfying, you know, to see something that you've had um, a hand in or that you've influenced or you've touched to go away and to come back and see like things sprouting up all over the place that you had nothing, you don't even know these people, but they speak of the same God, they praise the same Jesus, and they have, they embody the same love of Jesus Christ. It's that familial DNA, the familial DNA. And that's why I know I can go to the other side of the world and as people are worshiping and praising God, maybe it's in a language that I don't understand, it's a different language, but I know it's the same one God, that we worship Jesus Christ together and that there's a familial bond, there's a DNA that draws us together and makes us uh, one family and a common bond. Um, and I think this is what Paul and his companions are experiencing Right, the hospitality of the family of God that has sprouted up um, along with all many, many, many communities sprouting up all over Asia Minor, all over Europe. And it must have been amazing for Paul to see that and even encouraging, like, man, God is at work, the Holy Spirit is work, at work and the church is growing and expanding. Finally, verse 6 ends with, we said goodbye to each other and then boarded the ship and they returned to their homes. But before that, this group, this random group that they stayed with for a week, it says compelled in verse 4 of chapter 21, compelled by the Holy Spirit, they kept telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They're like, you're going to get hurt there. You're going to suffer there. We don't want you. Don't go, please, don't go to Jerusalem. And what I'm reminded of is, as Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem and making his kind of, you know, run down the stretch to the end, if you will, and 
and kind of telling his disciples, this is what is going to happen. The Son of Man is going to suffer and die and be persecuted. That his disciples went through a range of emotions to the point where, for instance, Peter is like, no, you're not going to die. This is not going to happen. You can't. And it's natural for us as human beings um, to lose sight of the mission, right? What's mission critical for what we feel emotionally. We don't want to part. We don't want to see our friends and loved ones suffer. We don't want to say goodbye. We don't want to say farewell. We don't want to suffer ourselves. We don't want to hurt. The interesting thing is that the scripture says, compelled by the spirit. Like, is the spirit telling them to tell Paul not to go? But didn't Paul feel called by the spirit to go to Jerusalem? So is this a contradiction? Is the spirit contradicting itself? And many uh, commentators, many people who study Bible say, uh, because of this, say that Paul was actually choosing to go um, to Jerusalem outside of God's will. That it was Paul's own idea and own will to go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit is using people to say, don't go, don't go, don't go. But I actually don't have a problem with this contradiction, right? Seeming contradiction. The Holy Spirit can be t telling these people to compel Paul not to go, right? Maybe they think it's the Holy Spirit or, and they're just going by their emotions or feelings. Or maybe, yes, the Holy Spirit is compelling, uh, opening their hearts to express their feelings. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit is continuing to lead Paul to Jerusalem, right? Maybe it's a test. Or maybe Paul needs to know that there are people who love him and have their back. That they love him so much that they're going to be like, don't go. That this would actually encourage Paul to be brave and actually go. That there are people that have his back. There are people <laughs> that care about him enough to want him to be safe. To want him to stay. I don't know. But I'm okay with not knowing him. And for it to be mysterious. So we continue in verse 7 in our passage. They continue on their voyage. Um, one other thing I want to note is it, we see it in this passage, the first person plural, right? We sailed, we traveled. And that actually starts in chapter 20, which I forgot to mention last week. We sailed from this place. We journeyed from this place. We moved from kind of this omniscient narr random narrator uh, uh, writing in third person to a first person plural, we. Who is this we? Who's writing this? Right? And so what we glean, what most people think is, because Luke is the writer of Acts, Luke is actually on this journey with Paul and writing of these experiences as he's now with Paul on the journey itself. It also tells us that, yes, Paul is not alone. He's not an apostle, a lone ranger, going things at a, uh, on his own, but he has companions. He has ministry partners. He has actually a following, a group of people who have been traveling with them. 
And for as much as we in the church say, Paul, Paul, what a man, what an apostle, right? A powerful man for the church, a church planter. Sometimes we focus on the singular, right? The lone ranger, the hero, like a great church planter does it on his own, does it on her own. We go out and we do all this ministry single-handedly. But that's not what we see in these chapters. We see, like I said, an intimate, close community of brothers and sisters, even those you never met before are your brothers and sisters, and ministry companions and partners. No person is an island, especially in the church of God, especially in the community of faith. No person should do things alone. We are in ministry together. We are the body of Christ together. Let no, often we use the term solo pastor. That's like one pastor, there's only one pastor at a church. They're a solo pastor. And a lot of pastors, pastors are some of the loneliest people. That's why our life expectancy is like some ridiculous stat. Leave, leave the ministry within five to eight years, right? Because it's lonely, because it's hard. But when I read scripture, I see companionship. I see community. I see support. And Paul has it in spades. And we see, we read it here. We. We travel. Paul travels with a we. And may we, church, right? I hope that as a pastor, right? You know, some of the loneliest times I've spent in ministry is when we first planted Renew, right? Because what I felt was I am trying to build this thing so that I get partners. Like, one of the things that brings tears to my eyes is when someone, it's a miracle, when someone actually hears the vision of Renew and the mission of Renew and says, I'm in, right? And, and they begin to catch the vision and they bring others along. It's like, how does that happen? How does that reproduction happen? It's a miracle of God, but it's so amazing because now it's not just me pulling teeth and dragging people behind me. But it's God and the Holy Spirit in this, the vision and mission of the church that's compelling other people to come along. That is what the kingdom of heaven is about. That's why I don't like being the solo pastor. I'll do whatever I can to get partners, right? I'll reach out from the depths right, to get a Udia, a Magia, right? A Tosh who's been on our staff team. Right? And even before that, bringing on partners who would partner with me in leadership and in leading a church. And our lay leaders, our stewardship team. Our stewardship team is like the board of the church. Right? Many leaders who now like renew is their church. Some people feel more passionate about Renew than I do, right? Some people guard the vision of Renew more strongly than I do. And that's an amazing thing to see. 
It's not just David's church. It's not just Paul's ministry. It's the ministry of we. And if there's one thing that comes out of chapter 21 that I want to emphasize is this. Right? Paul is not alone. There are people with him, and there's also a community of faith that's sending him, supporting him, right? providing hospitality, and even loving him so much that even though the mission is to go to Jerusalem, there's feeling compelled to say, don't go! We don't want you to be arrested. We don't want you to be in danger. Don't go. We love you. Our natural response is to hold on to you. You need to be torn away from us. And sometimes for a leader who's sent to tear away from the community, even when you want to stay, even when they want you to stay, actually gives you more com conviction when you're sent out. You actually have to push away and be like, oh, I want to stay, but I need to go. And we see this in Paul. That he continues on, even though everything in his heart and everyone around him is like, stay, don't go. We see this in the humanity of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus was God. Yes, he died to save all of humanity, right? And reconcile humanity to God himself. But... It's not that Jesus didn't struggle with doubt. It's not that Jesus was never tempted. Jesus was very human, right? Remember in Gethsemane, Jesus wept and said, prayed, cried out to God, this is so hard. I don't want to do this. I am afraid. But what does Jesus say after that? Not my will but your will be done. And that's another value in the kingdom or a lesson about the kingdom of God, about being a part of the way is that it's not following God, following Jesus is not always the happy way. It's not always the comfortable way. It's not always gonna mean you don't suffer, right? Being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being a follower of Jesus, doesn't always mean that it's going to be pleasant and nice and all about love and feeling joyful. It's going to be hard. And sometimes we're going to want to say, cry out to God, no, I don't want to. And sometimes we're going to have doubts. And at Renew, I hope our culture is, right? It's okay to doubt, right? We're not about, oh, as a Christian, you should not think about any, you should not question anything. You should only have perfectly good thoughts and positive thoughts, right? Never doubt. And sometimes in the church, we've built this culture of perfection up, like, you should never dissent. You should never have doubt. You should never question. But actually, that's where our faith grows, is when we allow ourselves to doubt, when we're honest and authentic and genuine and saying, man, I know, God, you're good, and I love you, God, 
But man, is there a different way? <laughs> right? Can, I, can you take this cup from me? Even Jesus said, ah, oh, this is so hard. Even Jesus on the cross said, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, God distances himself from Jesus, who's taking the sin of the world upon him when he dies. I take this cup from me. It is okay to doubt. So they continue on their voyage. And once again, they greeted the brother, um, another group of brothers and sisters there in Ptolemus and spent a day with them. The next day, they move on to Caesarea. We went to the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven, and stayed with him. And this is like just a little short verse in the Bible, but I think it's very important. We know about Philip's daughters here. He had four unmarried daughters who were involved in the work of prophecy. Philip has four daughters, women, females, who are prophets, teachers, preachers, right? They were prophets. Let not anyone say that there's nowhere in the Bible where there's women who lead, who prophesy, who preach and teach. These are all things that are made up by people, especially made up by the hands of men in our structures, where they take verses here and there to say, to limit who God can call. But we see Philip has four, has four female daughters who are prophets. Amen. Another kingdom value, another thing we can glean, which Renew is strongly about. We believe that God calls women to be leaders, that God calls women to all aspects of ministry in the church. No limitations. Because why would we limit who God can call and what God can do and who God can use? Um, he had four daughters. So they stay, again, more hospitality, more kind of the community of God providing for its family. After staying there for several days, um, they run into a prophet. Um, and the prophet, here's another example, the prophet takes Paul's belt. Right? First of all, I would think this is awkward if someone came up to me and tried to take my belt away from me. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. But he takes Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and says, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. In Jerusalem, the Jews will bind the man who owns this belt, meaning Paul owns the belt, right? And they will hand him over to Gentiles. So he's prophesying uh, Paul's uh, arrest and persecution in Jerusalem. When we heard this, we and the local believers urge Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So another example of the Holy Spirit compelling, this time a prophet, to say that Paul is gonna suffer, right, in Jerusalem. And now it's not just these random brothers and sisters who are saying, don't go, but the we, right? When we heard this, so it's Paul's ministry companions and the local believers, 
urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, it's even closer. It's his closer companions are saying, don't go. Don't go. Look what this guy just said. You're headed into the belly of the beast. And let me scroll here. You're headed into the belly of the beast. And this is Paul's reply. Why are you doing this? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be arrested, but even to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. This isn't a Sunday school answer because Paul says, right? He's not just saying the right thing to say, I'm going because the Lord called me. No matter what, I'm faithful to the end. But he says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Right? I'm sure what, Paul, what I hear in Paul's words is, I want to stay. Right? I want to be with you. You're breaking my heart. You know, this is, you're making it harder for me to go. But you know what? I'm doing this for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus. Let us be real. Let us be authentic. Let us be open in our trials, in our sufferings, in our doubts and struggles with one another. No, no, nowhere in scripture does it say, come and put a happy face on and make sure no one knows that you're struggling. But sometimes we come to church like that, like church is the place where we have to put on our best face, our Sunday clothes, and look put together. May that never be so in our church. May we come as we are, open-hearted in all of our struggles and all of our shortcomings and give that to one another. And in the midst of that, knowing these vulnerabilities in one another, yet, we love, yet we're gracious to one another. That is the community of faith. That is the love of Jesus. Amen. 14, since we couldn't talk him out of it, the only thing we could say was, the Lord's will be done. <laughs> After this, we got ready and made our way to, up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and led us to Nason's home where we were guests. He was from Cyprus and had been a disciple a long time. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. How many is that now? Five or six or seven? Different places they went to and were warmly welcomed by brothers and sisters and were able to stay in a brother or sister's home. Jesus provides when we are journeying with him, when we are in the ministry of the church, Jesus Christ, Jesus provides, God provides for his people with the family of God. May we trust in the abundance that's found at the table of our Lord. As we are in third Sunday, open table Sunday, we sit together at God's, at the Father's table, and eat of his bounty. 
may you trust in God and trust, may we trust each other enough to put our needs and our struggles and our vulnerabilities before one another and know that God has what you need and will provide for you through his church. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the ways that you provide for us that even when we are stubborn and independent and we want to do it our own way, we want to do it by ourselves, we don't want to show weakness, we don't want to show uh, that we have a vulnerability, we want to put on our best face, we want to be put together, that you've surrounded us with your family, the church, to be community, to be family, to be close, to, to be supportive, to be open-hearted and passionate, to embrace us and be like, don't go, but your will be done. Don't go, but your will be done. And as we receive people, new people into our community, and as we send out people that we love, oh, may our hearts be open to new relationships and our hearts um, be open to break when relationships transition, people transition. Um, but we know that your will is done and even yet we'll keep our hearts open, we'll not protect ourselves uh, because this is the only way to live in your kingdom, open-hearted, seeking your will. In Jesus' name.